So I'm so excited today because I get to sit beside a friend of mine who I look up to, who I'm inspired by, and she is just such an incredible leader for all women, for all business. I'm here with Caroline Kudsi. It's so fun to be together. Thank and you, Sonia. You are the founder, the president of Women in Governance, La Gouvernance au Féminin, but you're also top 20 in diversity figures in Quebec, top 75 in Canadian immigrants, top 100 most powerful women in Canada and a UN Women Award recipient. It's so fun to be together. Thank, Thank you so much you. for doing I'm this. I'm happy to be here, Sonia. So here's what I want to talk about. We have been talking about the women in business, how uh, how women are rising in business and in and as an employee, as employers. But what I want to talk about is a little bit more your story. Like, how did you do this? Not just as a woman in business, but also how did you do this as a mom? How did you do this as a single mom? How could you raise these phenomenal kids and while still growing an incredible business? Well, my story is a little bit different from what you come across more often. I was born in Beirut. Mm. I grew up through the Lebanese Civil War. I left uh, with my family back and forth. Uh, eight times we did international uh, moves uh, during a period of 15 years. So that's from my age 7 to my age 22. These were very, very formative years. At age 17, I actually left my family to move to Paris on my own. No money, no parents. Why? And why? Because it was the worst year of the war oh. uh, in Lebanon and uh, no school. Uh, I really wanted to learn. I really wanted to go to school. And it was a choice that I made, that my family made. Not an easy one, uh, you can imagine, for my parents to uh, let me go. Uh, but they felt that it was the best thing that we could do seeing the circumstances and quite frankly what I have learned during that period is I think what shaped me as a woman today uh, when people ask me where does that strength and mm -hmm. that courage that resilience come from well I think it's quite clear this is where it comes from that's so for you what took you from Paris to then Montreal so then I got married at 21 so when I got to Paris at 17 I met this uh, uh, boyfriend who was also 17 that I moved in with because I I was practically homeless at the time and uh, four years later we got married and then we decided to move to Montreal because my parents, uh, it was the end of the war in Lebanon, they decided to leave, actually they did not know the war was ending, this is why they sold everything, decided to move to Montreal and uh, I wanted to be reunited with my family, did the mm. same thing, moved from Paris to Montreal. And when I came here I had huge levels of ambition and I really felt that being in Canada was the best place to be, to rise as a woman, mm -hmm. to have a fulfilling career, and to follow my, my dreams of uh, you know, getting to the top of an organization. So what was the big picture for you? What, was the, what did you want to do? It was clear in my mind that I was going to be the leader of an organization that was going to have very strong social values. So that was key to me. But that's not where I was when I started. You know, I had to make a living mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, I quickly uh, moved into roles that were business development roles, uh, where quite frankly, if you're successful, you are very sheltered, you are very well treated because companies know that you are actually uh, at the forefront. You are going to allow this organization to move to the next level. You're going to allow it 
to grow, whether it's within different markets or within different uh, product lines. So I really became a true rainmaker very quickly, very early in my career and started to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Then I moved into management roles. So I started heading sales teams and then I started heading companies. So managing profit and loss. So for nine years, up until I decided to follow my passion with women in governance, that's what I was doing. I was managing companies, profit and loss, and I had, you know, whether it's sales or operations or finance, HR, all reporting into me. So tell me, this is so interesting because so many women struggle with the transition. So when did you decide, I'm going to leave my high paying, Mm -hmm. high role, and you were you were secured. This was your big piece. This is also becomes who you are, right? To then take the leap and do this on your own. Well, it's interesting you say this is who you are. For many people, um, they have this false or true impression that they are what their company is. They are what their title is. Hundred percent. And they are actually petrified of losing sort of this aura that comes with the position. So my last job that I quit now two and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. I was executive vice president of Canada's largest medical expertise firm. Mm -hmm. So there is a level of prestige apart from obviously a level of uh, financial comfort and, uh, you know, overall security uh, that comes with it. The reason why I made this decision is my values, my true beliefs, and the impact that I was having for the past decade now with women in governance were becoming such that I felt that I had to make a personal sacrifice, which which felt like a personal sacrifice Mm -hmm. at the time, for the greater good, for the cause, and in hindsight is obviously the best decision I could have made. Today, I have 10 full-time employees, six women and four men. We definitely walk the talk. We've got people in their 20s, in their 30s, 40s, 50s. We've got people from all over the world. We really talk diversity and inclusion. And we've been having an unbelievable impact with our work closing the gender gap in the workplace here in Canada, but globally as well. So this is so incredible. Tell me the biggest struggle though. What was the hardest part? Well, I would say, um, you know, what was interesting was to see how people were actually trying to discourage me. Mm -hmm. People were telling me, you are crazy to do this. You have responsibility. You have children. Mm -hmm. You cannot just do this. And it's funny how people are quick to dismiss the possibility of success. They'll say, Oh, this is going to fail. Mm-hmm. Oh, but there are 400 organizations for gender equality across Canada. But who cares? Who cares? Who cares? At the end of the day, if I believe in what I am doing, if I am convinced, I will convince everybody that I talk to. And with my level of passion and determination, I knew that I was going to bring this organization at the very top, very top of the Canadian organizations working in that field. Did you have any support? I like have. Your family, of your... Of course, of course. Were they absolutely. supportive of your leap or were they like... Well, right? So my family, of course, the first reaction, you know, the typical Lebanese family mm-hmm. who are proud that their daughter is an executive vice president of a medical expertise firm. 
they began by freaking out right. and uh, saying, you know, this is not a good idea because they weren't able to actually grasp what I was going to achieve and how I was going to achieve it. Now, in terms of my personal friends and my business friends, because I like to call my, you know, my colleagues and, and the, the network that I've cultivated uh, over the, the past couple of decades, friends, that's mm -hmm. what they've become. Mm -hmm. um, so there were uh, people who were on board. There were people who were kind of hesitant. And they were people, of course, who were trying to discourage me. Now, I focused on the people who were on board. Yes. And I said, I cannot do this alone. Mm -hmm. You have a role to play. I had more than 50 volunteers who have worked on six different committees to make this happen. I am unbelievably grateful for all the people who have sacrificed weekends and evenings mm. to support me in my mission. I had the vision. I knew exactly where I was going. And I had people around me who were in awe with that vision and wanted to contribute. And I'm fortunate to be surrounded by people who are the best in their class, the best at what they do, and are well-connected and were able to go after, you know, um, corporate uh, support, sponsors, partners, and getting the largest consulting firm uh, on the planet, McKinsey & Company, to support us through building our parity certification, which has become our global flagship uh, uh, service. And uh, after that, Mercer came on board and McKinsey and, and sorry, and Willis Towers Watson came on board. So, so, so many organizations have said, we believe in this and we're putting our money where our mouth is. So what I love about what you're saying, which is so, so important is, number one is you had the vision huge, huge conviction you knew. So you didn't even care whether everyone was on board or no one was on board. And then you started looking and sharing that vision. And then you also enrolled and empowered others to follow you because a lot of people have that vision, but then they, they think they have to do it all alone. But you didn't. You actually brought in those who also believed and all, those who also wanted in and you empowered them. And then they were able to do what they are best at. Because we also have to remember that we are can have great skill sets at certain things, but without the right team and without empowering that team to live their passion through your bigger vision, because it becomes not about you. It really isn't about you. And to me, when I sit down with really incredible, powerful, successful, and empowered men and women, it is so much greater than us. It's not about us. And it becomes about the impact that you make in other people's lives. So by surrounding yourself with people that get that, that are inspired by that, and then they will in turn be empowered by you and by your team, you're then surrounded by people with incredible skill sets that you may have or may not or maybe not choose to, but then you can and just empower them to help you build this bigger vision. So I absolutely love that. I want to ask you another question. How did it work with, because you know, we have so many women that listen to us and moms and what a great struggle is always this whole work-life balance thing. You're a mom, you were a single mom. Can you explain to me how you did that and how you grew your successful business while also putting that mom hat on? Right, so that was an interesting challenge in right? itself. 
I have parents who, well, they live here uh, up to this day, still work. My, actually, my mom only retired uh, less than a year ago. My father, who's 80 years old, still works. Uh, so I had no support system. Uh, my uh, ex-husband, the father of my children, moved to France. Wow. So talking about single mom, we're not even saying that it's a week a week or weekends off. No, no. I had my kids full time and he moved to France when my children were 13 and 15. So that these are really critical years. Critical years. Critical. Exactly. Yes. So I chose to raise my children with um, very strong values with a good understanding of what success means like a uh, mean means yes and also it's their ownership it their success belongs to them they are the ones who need to build it not me mm. i have gone to school i have done my homework so i have never ever you know i know a lot of moms would be very ashamed to say this but i've never done homework with my kids mm. i said listen you work it out and if you don't <laughs> understand find someone at school who's going to help you mm. And, uh, and, and that's what it is. Also, Did other, you have the guilt? You know what? People were trying to guilt me. Yes. But I never let that get to me. You know, of course, there were moments where I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I have spent three nights during this week uh, away. Yes. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was not there. I was at a gala. I was at a board meeting. I was at a committee meeting. Mm -hmm. I was at a cocktail. And my kids had to work out, uh, you know, their dinners, their... But the truth of the matter is, when you give them the right values, when you tell them how they must, you know, go about their lives and be independent and autonomous, it is the biggest gift that you can give your children. And when they started understanding this and coming with me to board meetings to mm -hmm. see what is mom doing when she's not here, coming to balls and galas and volunteering at the Salvation Army, at the Missing Children's Network, uh, at uh, obviously Women in Governance uh, since the very beginning 10 years ago, and, and, and the Daffodil Ball for the Canadian Cancer Society, and I'm not gonna name all these organizations where they have made their little difference, and they started understanding what it is about social impact, what it means when you are a healthy and, uh, and, and, and rich, family quite mm -hmm. frankly and there are other people who are in a very different situation and it is your role to help them well that sets you up for life today my daughter is a lawyer mm. my son is a banker they are both doing unbelievable things still very involved in the community and I can say in hindsight that I did the right thing but if I had felt at any point that maybe uh, you know they were uh, having maybe seeing people who I didn't agree with, not the right friends, mm. or maybe they seem depressed or not involved in sports, or if there was anything to be worried about, of course I would have slowed down and focused on them. But I could see by, you know, I was very close to them, even if I was often absent, the times that we spent together, it's quality. Quality, yeah. That's what matters. So, you know, thinking that you have to be at home every night mm -hmm. to prepare dinner for your kids, I don't believe in that. You have to be there when they need you. Mm -hmm. They need to know that they are loved and that you will always be there and that they are your priority. Apart from that, just let them run their own show. They'll you be know, stronger. I, I, it's so funny because even when I asked you, I was like, we're going to talk about work-life balance. You're like, I don't really love that topic. But to me, it is so inspiring and important that 
other moms that are working big careers and have big passions and that are not always home. And I literally was coaching someone yesterday and that was her biggest blame. That was her biggest guilt because she is there building her business and absent a lot and traveling a lot because of her job. And she feels like she's constantly being compared to these women that are in teacher parent meeting and they're at the cooking bake and they're at, you know, making these like super healthy dinners. And for you, you said like, you're fine if your kids had a bowl of cereal for dinner. You were okay with it. Absolutely. And they were too. And I'll tell you something. The woman who will marry my son will be very fortunate because he has had to go to the supermarket if he wanted to eat. He has had to learn how to cook. He went on YouTube. He looked, he can cook better than I can. So at the end of the day, I think they're more than fine. And there is not one model that works. There is not one recipe. Each family is different. Find your own balance. We're all different. A lot of people say, I don't know how you do it Mm -hmm. because... You don't sleep enough, you don't eat enough. You're always out, you're not da-da-da. Exactly. But this is what works for me. Works for you. I would actually burn out if I was left, you know, to stay at home or to do something that doesn't passion me. I'm super excited about what I do. I run a lot. That is true. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't get enough, you know, me time. But this, what I do, my passion, I call that my me time. That really is. It's so fun. So what I want, one last tip that I would love you to say is, again, what is the greatest, what's the greatest tip that you can give your daughter? Like, what do you tell your daughter on how she needs to run her life? And what could you, what's like the greatest tip that you had that you can say, you know what, like if I had to do this again, here's how I would run this again. Well, uh, so there's two, uh, two things here. One, what would I tell my daughter? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I tell her all the time, she's a lawyer, as I mentioned earlier. She is so focused on her work and her success within her law firm. I always say, go out there. Spend more time networking and getting yourself uh, you know, acquainted with people in other law firms, with people in other industries. Strengthen that network that will help you no matter what project you have. One day a client will come with a crazy situation that you've never encountered. And if you have a strong network, for sure you will find someone who has a good idea for you. So the network for me has been key to my success within the corporate world, within women in governance today, within government as I, as I, as I lobby government at the provincial, federal, municipal levels. Um, so network. Uh, if there's anything that I would have done differently in my own life, that is an interesting question I have never thought mm-hmm. of. Um, what would I have done differently? I think I would have started much earlier. Um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm so excited when I see uh, girls who are in their 20s or their 30s and they are working around, you know, closing the gender gap in the workplace and they are vocal about women's leadership. And I started that late. And maybe the reason of my success is because I had so much experience and I was a you know, seasoned businesswoman and I experienced the glass ceiling firsthand. Mm-hmm. I was an executive vice president, so I can say what it feels like when you're the only woman at the decision-making table and what it feels like when you're reporting to an all-male, pale, stale board. Um, so that, that's a different approach. But you know, I wish I had that many more years 
I do. I have 45 Tons. years Tons. ahead of me to, to still do what I'm doing. But, you know, I, I, I wish I had started earlier. This is so amazing. So how do people get involved with women in governance? How do people follow you? How do you tell me what we can do? Because I'm sure so many people are just like, wait, I want more. I want oh. more from Caroline. So there are so many things that they can do. First of all, go on our website, womenengovernance.org, lagouvernanceofemina.org. Uh, so follow us on social media. We're everywhere, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, there are so many things that you can do as a woman, as a man, as a company. So... As a woman, uh, there are obviously um, mentoring programs that we have. There are uh, governance training that we offer that are interesting for women who want to go through that glass ceiling. As a man or a woman, you can attend our events. They are, there's about 45% men who come to our events, so wow. that's very exciting. Uh, we hold galas in Montreal and in Toronto. We hold uh, roundtable discussions. We hold panel discussions, conferences. Uh, etc. And if you're a corporation or if you're an employee of a large corporation, then you have to go through our parity certification where we support the organization uh, in their quest uh, for parity. We will uh, measure all the initiatives, all the programs that they put in place, all the, uh, their situation. We will evaluate the number of women versus men at every level, from entry level to the board. And we will rank, we, that's what we've been doing for three years. We rank companies from bronze to platinum. The rankings are confidential, so companies don't have to worry about their competitors being better ranked than them. We only unveil the platinum levels. And we give best practices. We give full reports on what to do to move the needle, how companies can attract, retain, promote, compensate properly women in, in every industry, including male-dominated fields. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. That was so amazing. Thank you, Sonia. So fun. Thank you.